What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to the Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things the challenge, past, present, or future. If it's happening in the challenge universe, then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian, Jacob Hollibaugh. Thank you so very, very much for being here with me today. On today's pod, we are a celebrating. You see, I'm a big fan of big round numbers. I think they're pretty cool. And today's podcast happens to be one of those big round numbers worth celebrating. That's right. This right here, right now, what you are listening to is the 100th ever episode of The Challenge Historian. 100, big one, double zero. It's been a wild ride over the course of these first 100 episodes, and I cannot thank each and every one of you who have listened to any single episode enough. I love The Challenge so much, way too much, most would say, and to be able to talk about it and share my opinions on it with all of you is an absolute blessing. So thank you for being here with me for these first 100 episodes and know that I'm just getting started. A lot of big, exciting things in the works for this podcast and for the YouTube channel that goes with it. I have only scratched the surface. A lot more needs to be added to these challenge history books before it's all said and done, and a lot more will be added to these challenge history books before it's all said and done. Now, since 100 episodes feel so big and special, I figured I couldn't just do any old recap or rewatch for the 100th episode. No, instead, I need to do do something big, bold, crazy. Some might say stupid, and by some I mean me after deciding what I was going to do and then realizing how hard it was going to be to do just that. The topic had to be epic. So for the 100th episode, I decided to put all of my challenge opinions out there into the world and bring to you 100 challenge takes for the 100th Challenge Historian podcast episode. 100 takes, 100 opinions about the show we all love so dearly, bold thoughts, wild assessments, proclamations of the highest order. That's what I am bringing to you today. However, I couldn't do it alone. You see, between the fact that you, the listeners, are super important to me, hearing your opinions is super fun for me, and coming up with 100 opinions of my own was super hard for me, I had to reach out to y'all for some help, and boy, did y'all deliver. I gave you barely 24 hours notice to get in your hottest takes, your spiciest opinions, your most devastating declarations submitted over on the Challenge Historian Instagram page. You did so. I've scanned through those results and added the best of the best in with my own. Now, seriously, I wish I had TJ here to tell each and every one of you that you absolutely killed it with the assignment. I could do a whole podcast just of your amazing submissions and very well may do something like that down the road in the future. But for today, it's going to be a mix of yours and mine. So here's how this is going to work. I've got 100 takes to share. I've broken them down into 10 different sets of 10, each with its own topic or theme. For those takes that come from others, I will give credit, of course, in an attempt at defending, although I may not agree with every single take that I share that came from someone else. I just found them all fantastic for one reason or other and want to share them. For the majority of the opinions that do come from yours truly, however, you better believe that I believe every gosh darn word of them and will defend them to the death. Now, If you've listened to this podcast for very long, you are likely absolutely terrified right now thinking, but Jacob, you kind of get long-winded and talk forever from time to time. Should I be scared that this hundred takes, hundred opinions is going to take a hundred hours? That's a very fair concern. I totally understand. If you're thinking that, I have thought of it myself. I do love to talk. 
And that is also the reason why I will be restricting each and every one of these takes to a maximum of one minute's time. Some are just going to be flat out statements. Others will get a brief defense, but none, I tell you none, will go over the one minute time limit, meaning this podcast will not go on until the end of time like you might otherwise think it could, but that the opportunity for future discussion on each and every one of these opinions will. We're only going to scratch the surface of each one today, make a statement, move on. So lots of discussion to then be had in the future about the validity of each and every one of these opinions and or takes. If you find yourself foaming at the mouth, you are so upset at one of these opinions or smiling ear to ear, fist pump in the air as hard as you can and full rejoice over hearing someone else share your deepest held challenge belief, I want to hear about it. It has been so much fun interacting with you all the last couple days, so please, 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 please reach out over on Instagram at Challenge Historian. DMs are always open. You know where to find me and let me know some of your favorite, your least favorite that takes that made you the angriest or smile ear to ear. Let me know at Challenge Historian on Instagram. Let's talk it out. Share some more. Maybe if I get a bunch of bonus amazing ones that didn't get in in time for the podcast, we'll be sharing those over there on the Instagram. So DMs are open. Let me know what you think. Let's keep this as interactive as possible, both before and after. Now, without further ado, that's all we got to go over. Let's dive in. 100 takes for the 100th episode. Here we go. What season is the best? What season is the worst? When were things going oh so right? And when were they going, holy shit, what are we doing here wrong? Our first set of 10 takes of all focused on a full season or seasons at large. Here we go. Number one, Battle of the Sexes 1 is the worst season of all time. And Battle of the Sexes as a format is by far the worst format that ever was given a second chance. Seriously. This feels like an objective fact, not really even an opinion. We're kind of starting slow here. It just didn't work. It was lopsided. It lacked drama. Bad decisions were made all around a whole big old mess. Bow the sex is one. Worst season ever. Number two, Mexico, the GOAT challenge location. You want a good season of the challenge, you put it in Mexico, and you sit back and revel in rejoice in the wonder, in the splendor that is a Mexico-based challenge season. Battle the Seasons, the original. Inferno 2, Gauntlet 3, Rivals 3, All-Stars 1. All great seasons all took place in Mexico. By far the GOAT challenge location. Thailand, close second. No other location can even come close to matching either of those. Number three, the Duel 2 is one of the greatest seasons of all time, and it does not deserve to be sandwiched between the horror shows that are the island in the ruins. It does not deserve to have to be this shining light in a sea of darkness. Duel 2, I love you. Everyone should watch. It's one of the best of all time. Speaking of good, number four, Dirty 30 through War of the Worlds 2. 30 through 35. Dirty 30, War of the Worlds 2. Insanely great run of seasons that go so underappreciated for how hard it is to pull off these great seasons at that stage of a franchise and just for how good they are in general. And everyone complains about, all oh, the show's not as good as it used to be. I don't like it as much as I used to. Did you watch Dirty 30 through War of the Worlds 2? That wasn't that long ago, and they were kick-ass. They were awesome. It's right up there with nearly any run of seasons in show history, with the exception of number five. Rivals to X's 2 is by far the greatest run the show has ever went on. That is when the show peaked. Throw out Battle of the Seasons, although Battle of the Seasons 
totally fine. Some good things, some bad things. It's going to come up again later, but you throw that out. We're talking Rivals 1, X's 1, Rivals 2, Free Agents, X's 2, Absolute Pure Magic. That is the greatest run of this show's history. That is when the challenge reached its peak. Number six. Our first outside submission comes from my man Rick Hayes over at the Kick-Ass Challenge Fandom Podcast. Have you listened to their CT interview yet? You haven't? Did you know they interviewed CT? Go listen. Unbelievable stuff from them, as always. Challenge Fandom Podcast. Huge, huge fans, as I was, of this submission from Rick, who believes that, quote, the Challenge USA is the best season of the Challenge since War of the Worlds 2, and that is counting both the three flagship seasons and the three all-star seasons, end quote. I love the boldness, love the audacity, but I personally, while I love the Challenge USA and I love this take, I've got to personally take All-Stars 1 or 3 over the Challenge USA if I only had to pick one, but Rick, I love you, I love the take, just can't quite fully agree with it. Now next up, number 7, we move into greatest season of all time territory, which had a lot of people chiming in on which season deserves that title. One of those people was David Shakur at Filmmaker David on IG, who said, quote, season five, Battle of the Seasons is the best season ever. Fight me, end quote. Shout out to David for this submission. Shout out for all of these submissions from him. He was really firing them off. Loved all of them, but none more than this. This was my favorite submission because I'm damn near tempted to fully agree with him. I love the original Battle of the Seasons. It is one of the best seasons of all time. We got Coral and Miz as rookies. We got Theo Vaughn kicking ass. We got Dan coming back, getting a second win. The original Dan, Dan Seltzer. The Hurricane Juliet Party, the greatest party in the history of the challenge. That's just a throw-in giveaway take, not even part of the 100. Mark and Eric as host the Internet Cafe. It's also so good. However, number eight, Mike Lewis of the wonderful Mike Lewis podcast, another one. If you're not listening, following, go over, give Mike a follow. His podcast is wonderful, as is his take. He thinks a little bit different. He said, and I quote, Battle of the X's 2 is the most elite season of the challenge. Elite in all caps. And quote, when pressed further, he would go as far to say it's for sure top three and stick by the quote, elite season of all time. I commend this Battle of the X's 2, I think is of all of the nominees that could be nominated for the greatest season of all time, I think it's the one that gets nominated the least from the least amount of people, but deserves to be right up there in the discussion, but it isn't in the top spot in this historian's mind. Before we reveal what it is, we've got number nine. That is the best cast. Cast of all time. Not season yet, but cast of all time. A quick break from the best season discussion here. So number nine, best cast of all time is The Duel. Season 13, The Duel, number one, the best cast the challenge has ever putting together. Just going off of a top to bottom roster of people who showed up to Brazil that season, it's hands down the greatest cast the challenge has ever assembled. On the guy's side, Wes, Brad, CT, Evan, Easy, Derek, Nehemiah, Kenny, Tyler, Bananas, on the female side, Jody, Svetlana, Anissa, DM, Robin, Kina, Beth, Casey, Paula, Tina. Absolute murderers row. No duds. Many, many, many great casts have been put together over the years, but none is as stacked as this. But the greatest cast of all time does not necessarily mean the greatest season of all time because number 10, the greatest season of all time is season 25, Free Agents. And in the words of at filmmaker David 
fight me. I'll argue with anyone over it. I know that one minute isn't going to do this conversation justice. I just know that somehow, some way, I am right, and I'm not going to have the debate right here and now. That's for another day. With respect to the duel, with respect to X's 1 and 2, with respect to the original Battle of the Seasons, with respects to Inferno 1 and 2, War of the Worlds 2, and of course, and most certainly, Rivals 1 and Rivals 2. Respectfully, I'll take free agents over all of them, and I'll explain myself another day. The next set of 10 takes all have to do with the same topic, daily challenges. The daily challenge is the backbone of the show. No season can go without them unless you want to be the island, and you most certainly don't want to be the island. Let's fire off 10 possibly provocative proclamations related to daily challenges over the years. Here we go. Number one. The challenge needs to bring back live audiences. It can be done. It should be done. It made things so much more fun during those first four seasons or so when the cast would get the feel, the love of the live audience, the fans, and be the stars that they are. I want tickets. I'll sign an NDA. Just put butts in seats and let us watch it live. I know what the subscriber numbers are over there at Paramount+. Plus. I know y'all could use an extra revenue stream. Number two, TJ Lavin should refuse to host any challenge season until they promise to bring back pop culture bike jump from Battle of the Sexes to one of the coolest and most fun daily challenges of all time. That pop culture bike jump is when they did trivia mixed with BMX bike jumps and how they did this on a season when neither Dave Mira or TJ Lavin was hosting is beyond me, but they need to make up for it. Bring it back and let TJ host the most TJ Lavin daily challenge there ever has been conceived. Number three, speaking of trivia, it's great. But some versions are better than others. By far the best version of trivia ever, you may ask. It's as follows. Each question has a list of answers so that all teams take a turn at answering it until someone gets it wrong. It's done in pairs, and the teams get multiple misses before they're out. And most importantly, when you are out, you fall super far down into a body of water. That's the perfect setup. Long live trivia and long live TJ laughing his butt off. Number four. Nelson's streak of not winning 51 consecutive daily challenges will not only never be beat, no one will ever even get to half of that many in a row without winning. Nelson's 51 straight losses is the greatest streak in sports. It will never be beat. No one will ever come close, more so than any other streak in any other sport and any other thing in existence. This will never be topped. And it's still ongoing. Shout out to Challenge Stats at Challenge Stats, Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere you may look. Challenge Stats always looking out, hooking us up with this one. Nelson streak is ongoing. He has lost 51 straight daily challenges, and that is incredible. It takes a lot to be invited back when you can't win anything, but lucky for Nelson, he wins eliminations, and he wins the hearts of many a challenge fan like this one here. But for real, this record is the most untouchable record in sports. God bless you, Nelson. Number five. Polly getting purged in the final daily challenge of War of the Worlds 1 is the most shocking daily challenge result of all time. He had been dominating all season long right up until he decided to dive head first from 30 feet up in the air and give himself a concussion when he hit the water. He couldn't finish, which was shocking from the guy who had been absolutely running the game, running the show, running away with the competition until that point. The favorite to win the final goes home days before in a shocking 
shocking, shocking manner. Number six, DM winning the Ring Toss Daily Challenge on episode one of The Duel is the most satisfying slash I, the right person, won today daily challenge victory of all time. Most satisfying victory ever most heartwarming victory ever, DM winning ring toss. She's coming off chemo treatment. She's nervous. She doesn't want to take the wig off. She needs some encouragement. She needs some help. She gets both of those things. She goes all out. She gets in that muds, wrestles her way to a victory in a truly special moment, special performance. A daily challenge victory never warmed the heart more. Number seven, the Challenge 2000's Redneck Games is the funniest daily challenge in the history of the show. This thing was incredible. It was bonkers. It was wild. It was hilarious. All of that rolled up into one. A controversial pie-eating contest result, catching greased pigs, tech getting the crowd hyped up, a mud pit belly flop competition to end the whole thing. It was all epic. It had me in stitches like no other daily challenge before or since. Number eight, the coolest daily challenge of all time is Red Baron from the Gauntlet. By far the coolest, maybe the best of all time, but certainly the coolest Red Baron from the Gauntlet. They freaking flew planes, like actual piloting, okay, with a co-pilot doing a lot of the work, but like they for real partially flew a plane once it was up in the air. They took over control. They did one-on-one dogfights, Top Gun style That is insane. That is wild. That is so cool. I want to try to do, honestly, every single daily challenge that they have ever done, but none more than this one. It's so badass. It's so much fun. It is by far the coolest daily challenge ever conceived. Number nine and number 10, roll these two into one. Number nine, they show way too much of the daily challenges. No one cares. Get us back to the house and the drama and the storylines. But also number 10, They don't show enough of the daily challenges. I want to see full runs with actual times. Preferably, I would like to know all of the rules that they're playing by and see all of them being played out in front of me. Now, seriously, pick one or the other, either number nine or number 10. No more half measures. If the show is a sport, then show us the sport and keep it honest. No slick editing tricks and chosen parts left out. But if it's a reality show, then keep it moving on the challenges. Maybe show me the best, the worst, the funniest, if that exists, but then get us back to the good stuff in the house. From one sporting event to the next, we move from daily challenge takes to elimination takes. Here comes another set of 10 bold and boisterous beliefs. Number one, I can from the duel is the worst elimination game of all time. They played it four times, regretfully. It was somewhere between pointless, a mess, or downright disaster every single time, and it's one of the lone negatives of a nearly perfect season. Never, ever do anything like that again, please and thank you. Number two, speaking of the duel, every season of the challenge, they named the location for the eliminations, and some are good and some are not so good. The best of all time, the duel. From the duel in the duel two, wouldn't you know? The most annoying of all time, the Presidio on Dirty 30. I didn't need a homework assignment challenge. In the worst, but also maybe the most memorable of all time, the most I can't believe they freaking did that of all time, that would be season 20, Cutthroat, where it was named the Gulag. Which, yes, very memorable. But also, are you aware that the Gulag historically was the term for the Russian forced labor camps during the long reign of Joseph Stalin, where people were beaten, tortured, forced labor, end up most of them dead? 
Well, now that you are uh, familiar with this history, um, do you get how wild it is that they named an elimination after that? Part of me respects the gall. Part of me is absolutely horrified. Moving on, number three, Abram versus Brad in Balls In on Inferno 1 is the most underrated nominee for greatest elimination of all time that there is. There's a lot of nominees if we're talking the greatest of all time, but the one that never gets mentioned that absolutely needs to, Abram versus Brad Balls In, the first true headbanger, truly epic and out of control Brutal, a matchup of Warriors. It is in the running for the greatest ever and yet seemingly never gets brought up in that conversation. But not today. We are here to say it belongs. Number four, Zach's comeback win over CJ is the best hall brawl moment of all time. With respect to Jordan and Marlon beating Leroy and Ty on Rivals 2, which certainly has a case, Zach versus CJ is the best hall brawl has ever offered. And maybe we should have just stopped with that one. Number five, as for the other staple headbanger elimination, the greatest pole wrestle of all time, that would be Derek versus Joss on Vendettas. It's never been more even. It's never been more brutal. They both seem to love every second of it, which is insane. A wild, did that just happen kind of ending with respect to Derek versus Wes on the duel, which is when the challenge became a sport Derek versus Joss was the greatest pole wrestle we have ever seen. Number six, Jordan beating Josh in End of the Rope on War of the Worlds 2 is the most interesting and impressive elimination win of all time. The mind games, overcoming an obvious disadvantage, not just giving up from the start, the confidence in the plan, how much every person there in person and watching at home knew that somehow, some way, Jordan was going to win, and then he did. Plus, it's the climax of Jordan and Tori's epic run together that season. It is just incredible stuff. I could watch it over and over and over and never get enough of the intricacies, the plan, the confidence, everything about it. Jordan beating Josh, end of the rope. Most interesting and impressive elimination win of all time. Number seven, speaking of Jordan, back on free agents, he pulled all the kill cards, then lost to Bananas. That is the most badass elimination failure of all time. What a move. He goes right for the GOAT his second season, and he gets God, he takes it like a champ that he would become. It's a fantastic TV moment and a fantastic failure. Flip side of this, bonus take. This is just a little extra one. It belongs right here with this one, and that would be Devin calling his shot versus Bananas and beating him on Vendettas is the most badass elimination victory success of all time. Bananas ends up on both ends of this spectrum. Devin, of all people, calls his shot once Bananas. Tony, Bananas' best friend, a.k.a. the Rodman to his Pippin, a.k.a. the Pippin to his Jordan that season. I know I just messed that up, but so did Tony at different times on that season. He betrays Bananas, trusts Devin to deliver, and deliver he does. It's nail-biting close. It's a super random game that is also super cool. Devin talks a lot throughout his challenge career, but he also delivers more often than not. He beating, calling out and beating Bananas, the most epic badass success in elimination history, the most epic badass failure in elimination history. Jordan trying to do the same on free agents. Number eight, 
the greatest elimination game ever invented is not so fast, and it's not so close. Not so fast is perfect. It's strength. It's endurance. It's mental problem solving. It's a puzzle. You need to stay calm under pressure. It's got it all. Plus, it's visually appealing. It always at least seems close, if not it actually being really, really close, and it allows for slight variation season to season to keep it fresh. It's the best. No other game is close. They should play not so fast every single season. Number nine, the greatest elimination matchup we've ever seen is, without a doubt, Tyler and Bananas beating CT and Adam on Rivals 1 in T-Bone. It's the greatest elimination match in the history of the show. It's not close. Not even close. And there's been a lot of great ones. We've even mentioned a few right here. But this one takes the cake. So much on the line for four memorable cast members. The entire season storylines coming to a head. Literally, CT, Choo Choo Train, Tyler and Johnny facing CT. Coming off a banana's backpack on Cutthroat and winning. Two on two, two-way hall brawl. That's just mean. That's just cruel. That's just brutal. And it's also a little bit fantastic. It's so close. Poor Adam King. I love Adam King so much, but it's a notch in Tyler's Hall of Fame resume belt, a notch in Bananas. I'm the GOAT, not CT belt. It's the greatest elimination match we've ever seen. And that brings us to number 10. If my life depended on one single person to win one single elimination, I'm picking Laurel. Laurel is the true elimination queen, elimination goat. Any way you want to label it, she is the best of the best. Now, with respect to Jordan, Car Maria, Emily Schramm, Killa Cam, Derek, Nelson, West, Susie, Sarah, Grayson, and heck, even Frank, who all deserve mention. The fact that Laurel has ever even lost is simply mind-blowing. She is by far the elimination queen, the elimination goat. She is so dominant in all the areas you need for an elimination. Headbanger, she wipes the floor. Puzzle, she can keep it composed. Athleticism, she has it in space. She's got no fear. She's got all the confidence. She's the best to ever step foot in the sand next to TJ. The challenge loves itself a good twist. Every season, TJ's trying to pull something new on the cast. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it really doesn't work. For this next set of takes, we are talking twists and grouping them together with a few of the greatest what-if moments in challenge history. Let's get started. Number one, the weight-carrying element of Exile Eliminations on Fresh Meat 1 is by far the funniest, most random, yet most consequential twist of all time. Every cast member's bags were weighed getting off of the plane. That weight was what they had to carry while running through the woods or on the beach or anywhere they found themselves within on an exile. It's so diabolical, and I love it so much, yet I've got to ask... Who the hell came up with it? Because it's also just completely and utterly random, and I love the brilliance and the creativity. So many what-ifs related to this one single twist. It was by far the difference in Casey and Wes dominating, going 5-0, setting that elimination record, or should I say tying it, shout out Sarah Grayson on the gauntlet, but... It was the catalyst for them making it all the way to the final, for them knocking out five teams. It was the reason that the likes of Tanya and Johnny, Evan, Danny, Derek, and DM found themselves losing matchups that they likely should have won if they didn't pack so much gosh darn luggage. It was absolutely incredible. It shook things up. It made history, and it was completely random and hilarious at the same time. Number two. The skull twist on Total Madness and Double Agents is actually a fantastic twist. They just haven't figured out how to perfect it yet. Look, hear me out. 
There is a best version of this that provides ample drama, epic matchups. Just because the first attempt or two at doing it didn't work doesn't mean that it's not a truly great idea. Bring back the skull twist, figure out a way to perfect it. There's greatness in there somewhere. You've just got to find it. Number three, Jordan and Marlon would have won Rivals 2 if the first checkpoint of the finals wasn't a purge. Yes, CT and Wes, they wouldn't have won. Frank and Johnny, they wouldn't have won. I believe Jordan and Marlon would have won Rivals 2 if they would not have been purged after the initial swim and puzzle. They swam a touch slower. They timed out on the puzzle, same as Bananas and Frank did, but they were eliminated. If they would have went on secretly without really realizing it, Wes and CT kind of gassed out a little, but the thing is, so did Bananas and Frank. That would have been the opportunity Jordan and Marlon needed. Being behind had advantages in a few of those puzzles, which would have helped Jordan and Marlon make up ground, and I think they would have passed both Frank and Johnny and CT and Wes during the moving the body bags portion and taking home the win. Alas, a purge twist got him. Number four. Invasion of the Champions and Battle of the Bloodlines format changes were the worst and most pointless format changes of all time. They ruined two seasons completely. Now, do Invasion, uh, you know, if you do Invasion with both teams just from the start, if you do Bloodlines in pairs the entire time, would either of season have been great? No, but both would have been so, so, so much better if it wasn't for the changing of the game over and over, totally pointlessly and needlessly. Number five, drafting partners for a season is a three for three smash hit success and needs to be brought back. Fresh Meat 1, Fresh Meat 2, and most awesomely of all, War of the Worlds 1, all had partner drafts, all made for great TV in the moment and great pairings for the whole season. 10 out of 10 would recommend doing it again and bring back the combine. Post the full combine, the entire thing on your social channels for us to watch. Let us see it this time, but bring back the combine, bring back the draft. It worked three out of three times. Why not go back to the well? Number six, Brad is the most consequential challenge player of all time by way of directly being involved in three of the biggest what-if moments in challenge history. Seriously, you can't tell the history of the show without Brad because let's walk through them. First and foremost, CTDQs on the duel versus Brad in the final elimination. Throwing in, then beating Landon on duel two is number two. Creating a fight with Darrell on the ruins is number three. Those three things are some of the most consequential, biggest what-if moments in challenge history. That's three people who are involved in the GOAT discussion, all in what-if sliding doors moments that more often than not ends with them getting a championship if that one thing went different. Brad is the constant. CT wins on the duel. What happens for the rest of his career? Is his duel season the perfect challenge season? So much could have been different if not for that DQ. Landon avoids a limb and beat or and or beats Brad in the duel too. He goes four for four. He's probably the greatest ever, right? Darrell doesn't punch Brad out. He's winning on the ruins with that incredibly stacked team. He's now five for five. Three incredible what-ifs, Brad at the center of all of them. Challenge history truly can't be told without Brad indirectly front and center. Number seven, the turncoat twist on War of the Worlds 2 was epic and flawless and perfect, and they fucked it all up every season after that. It made sense 
to have switching of teams available in a two-team setting. It created epic moments. It added a layer of gameplay and drama. It was just so great for that season. It worked so dang well. Then they started having people switch every damn episode and as many times as they wanted and in pairs and in individual and then teams and double agents, SLA and Challenge USA and all the switching partners twist deservedly got a bad rep because it went to shit. But the original version, Turncoats on War of the Worlds 2, epic, flawless, perfect, love it. Number eight, speaking of perfect twist, all elimination opponents should be chosen via double cross system from Dirty 30. Dirty 30 got it so, so right with this. It was brilliant. It needs to be brought back. It was perfect drama, shadiness, strategy, manipulation, all the good things wrapped into one. Bring back the double cross. Let's make some more rivalries. Let's make some more enemies, please, and thank you. Number nine. Nani and Bananas re-entering the game and getting Teresa and Wes out on X's 2 is the greatest payoff to a twist that production has ever received and the show has ever seen. Some twists work, some twists don't. Some twists go so well, so flawlessly that they're damn near perfect. This was that. The Redemption House is cool. Could have went any number of ways, but the first time they tried it, things were flawless. Bananas and Nani end up there. No one knows about it. They come back later. Bananas West, their rivalry ran deep at that point. Nani, Teresa, their rivalry started to run deep at that point. Wes and Teresa get those two out of the game. They rejoice. They're stunned weeks later when they come back galloping in, win in front of them, enter the game, proceed to knock out Wes and Teresa for good shortly thereafter. Sometimes reality is better than fiction, and this was one of them. What a win for production that this worked so perfectly. And number 10, Abram having to leave the island is the biggest sliding doors moment in challenge history. Take you back. We're on the island. Abe's loving it. No one else is, but Abe is. He gets a call. Business is going south. He's needed and has to leave. No one wants him to, though. He's up for a vote versus Johnny Bananas. Everyone wants Johnny to go. Everyone wants Abram to stay. And even with Abram pleading to go, he almost wins the vote anyways. If he does, if that call never comes, if he doesn't decide to leave, things that are different. Bananas doesn't win this season. No chance. He's voted out unanimously. So what does that change going forward? Does he still get called back? Does he eventually win all the same seasons he would otherwise go on to win? Or does he win none of them? Bananas also doesn't look like a total piece of shit this whole season that he would go on to look like, you know, the entire rest of the season. So all that toxicity is gone from his resume and from the season that is marred by it. And then third, Abram definitely wins like 100% lock it in. Everyone loved him. He was totally at home on the island. He already had a key. He knew how to build sail a boat. It's a wrap. He is winning hands down. Where is he on the all-time list if that happens? Does he go on to do more shows or more than he eventually would do? Does his path change at all? I don't know, but the path of the show changed with that moment in decision. The path of Johnny Bananas, arguably the goat of the challenge, changed dramatically in that moment, as did Abrams himself. We will never know. But of the many great what-ifs and twists in challenge history, of which a full list of 100 could be made and maybe one day will be made, this is the biggest moment of them all. The challenge is a show and a game, and both of those things need someone to create them. Enter production. Now, 
I am a full of everlasting love and gratitude for every individual who has ever worked on the production of this fantastic television show over the years. I applaud them often and loudly. I love them. I thank them. You are wonderful. However, it's been far from a perfect run for the challenge gods, and I've got a whole set of 10 takes related to their sometimes fuck-ups. Here we go. Number one. You know that phrase I just used for the for the production team? Well, at Carrie11 on IG had a fantastic submission that said this, quote, hearing the phrase, the challenge gods makes me cringe, end quote. Carrie, I totally hear you. I actually kind of agree with you, which is why I added this in. I love this take, and I am sorry for the innumerable amount of times that I have brought pain to your ears from saying just that. Gods they are not. Mistakes they do make. Let's talk about a few more of them now. Number two. Here's a simple one I'll take to my grave. Tori's cart was clearly broken in her elimination loss to Anissa on double agents. I'm sorry. She's just as strong as Anissa. She pulled just as fast the first time, and that thing stuck like bubblegum to the bottom side of an elementary school desk. She didn't throw a fit because that's her friend on the other side, but no way in hell Tori just gave up in that manner, and no way in hell she couldn't get that thing to tip over. Something was broken. They just chose not to do anything about it, which brings me to number three. You know what did break and they did care to fix? That sand timer during the final elimination of Final Reckoning. You know, the season that Tony and Bananas rightfully should have won and deserved to win. That's right. If you didn't know, let me fill you in quick. Tony and Bananas shared a story recently on their his podcast where when Tony and Bananas faced Natalie and Polly, started as an eating contest between two people while the other two kept sand filled in a timer. Problem was, Tony and Bananas were dominating when Natalie and Polly's sand timer stopped working. They stopped the elimination. They couldn't fix it. So they sent everyone home to be brought back the next day when it was a totally change to who can hold your hands over your head the longest. We all know Natalie beat Bananas. She did so fair and square. That has to be said. But it wasn't meant to be that competition. This was the second attempt at a second totally different game. It was meant to be Tony time on the food and Tony and Bananas time winning. And my bet is if they would have had that original design, they would have won the elimination. They would have went on to win the final two. Number four. Coral nearly dying during the gauntlet final is the scariest moment in challenge history and it's all production's fault. How do you not even have an EpiPen? It's an EpiPen. It's a very simple thing. It's a very basic part of first aid medical care when you have tons of people running around doing crazy stuff out in nature. It's one of the first things you put on any medical release form. What are you allergic to? Don't worry. More, most of those are taken care of short-term by an EpiPen. We'll have one of those on site. Not in this case. Coral, literally the legend of legends, Coral, almost died on screen. And they nearly, I mean, they showed it. (laughs) They put it all on TV. It is absolutely wild. It is the scariest moment in the history of the show, bar none. Number five, from scary to stupid, the dumbest medical decision production has ever made was allowing Evan to compete with a sports hernia for three daily challenges in a row on Fresh Meat 1. He seriously could have died or at a minimum got severely, severely injured and messed up. And they just said, that's fine. Whatever the doctor says, it's your decision, not theirs. 
He freaking did a challenge where you pull a 300-pound sled through mud. That's literally listed on WebMD as the last possible thing a person with a sports hernia should be doing. I can't believe I have to say this, but thank God Coral popped her knee out, forcing Evan and Coral to go back to the hospital in secret, or else I fear he would have found a way to convince them to let him keep going. Listen to the doctors. They eventually got used to doing that, but in this case, a big mistake nearly was made. Number six. Having the finalists of Challenge 2000 skydive and solo land should have led to someone going to jail. How was this allowed? It's very illegal nowadays. It should have been back then. Challenge 2000, final mission. They all go skydiving with a partner strapped to the back, a professional. No, not at all. They jumped out the plane with the professional, but then the professional said goodbye midair, and you get to go ahead and pull your chute and land on your own. You got to steer. You got to land. It's absolutely crazy. Yes, got really messed up. Amaya ends up in the hospital, and frankly, they were super lucky. It was only the two of them. How they ever let that happen, why they ever let that happen, I do not know. Number seven, Sarah being sent home on X's one because her partner pulled Mandy's clothes off and Kahuta being sent home on All-Stars 2 because Casey was pregnant are tied for the biggest it's not your fault DQ screw jobs ever in the history of the show and they should have been avoided. Just figure it out. Two amazing people, two shit situations that have nothing to do with them Just make something up on the fly. Let them stay. Find some way. Figure it out. Give them an opportunity to remain in the game. I know it's hard. I know it was a shit situation. I know you didn't have a backup standing right there. But figure it out. Make something up. It's the challenge. Everyone will be okay with it. We love Kahuta and Sarah. Moving on. Number eight. The total madness in All-Stars 2 finals are complete embarrassments to the franchise. You've done how many seasons and you get it this wrong on this biggest stage? That's all that needs to be said about those forever. Number nine, Puck being on Battle of the Sexes was a massive mistake born out of pure greed and disregard for cast comfort and safety. Letting Puck be on Battle of the Sexes in the first place was a mistake. Letting Puck stay after spitting on David was a mistake. Letting the cast convince you that Puck had to stay even when you asked him to leave was a mistake. Letting Puck get married on the season, stopping the entire production for it, making him the star of the show after all that was a mistake. And letting Puck walk around with a machete all throughout the house in an angry rage was certainly a mistake. Number 10. I've said a lot of things, a lot of negative memories from production, but I stand here to tell you one final thing in this list of 10 takes, and I will defend this to the death. They do not rig eliminations. Again, I'll say it a little bit louder for those of you in the back who may not have heard or may not want to hear. They do not rig eliminations or any part of the game for that matter. Those are planned and advanced. They don't pick or change them based on who ends up in them. It's not feasible. They do not do it. Stop it with your conspiracy theories. They got to stop. Do they hook up the pairings from time to time? Sure, they do. They they get to pick that part going into the season. Do they, you know, do they know what people's strengths are and put more or less of that into the agenda for the season to maybe help certain people out? Sure, they do. But outright manipulation of what game is played by who or when doesn't happen. They don't rig it in that way. They never have. They never will because it isn't possible. It wouldn't be possible. It's not possible. They do not rig eliminations. They do not rig daily challenges. Get over it. It doesn't happen. 
Since we are on the topic of production anyways, let's now drill down to a specific duty of production, arguably the most important of all the duties, casting. Turns out who is on the show matters kind of a lot. Literally thousands and thousands of casting decisions have been made over the years, and I've got thoughts on a few of them, 10 to be exact. Let's go. Number one. Fessy is the best male cast member to be added post-War of the Worlds 2 and a perfect addition to the challenge. Fessy fan club for life. Total Madness, Double Agent, Spies, Lies, and Allies, Challenge USA. Four seasons, and he's my number one draft pick for a long-term keeper on the male side. Why? He brings everything that anyone wants from this show, whether you want to admit it or not. Sports side, he's a great athlete, has tons of impressive moments, but also some massive failures. He has an introverted confidence that seems to bother the hell out of people. Are you more of a fan of the show side of things? He's nicknamed Messi Fessy for a reason, and it's TV gold. He's not scared to get in an argument with even his best of friends. His outfits swing from fly to funny, confessional to confessional, and he has a background and story that we haven't seen that often before on this show. He brings it all, sports side, show side, every side, whether you love him or hate him. He makes for a great villain if that's how they want to paint him. You might hate him, but I promise you he is a purebred challenger through and through. He's the best male addition the cast has made in four seasons going. Now, Fessy Fan Club for life. Side note, fan club is solely for Fessy. On the challenge, we will not speak on any matters of Fessy in the real world. Fessy fan club for life. Moving on to number two. Speaking of Fessy, Big Brother has provided the flagship show with a lot of dope talent. They just keep inviting Josh and Casey back, so the Big Brother sucks thing became the narrative, and now that's what we all think, but it's not true. Big Brother has provided absolutely all-star talent. Devon, Polly, Jose, Bailey, Swaggy, Amber, Fessy, Natalie. You probably love some, you hate others, but you thought about them on their seasons and they brought value to the show. That pipeline was low-key working, y'all. Now that pipeline is over there on the CBS side of things. Number three, casting blew it, not holding on to more UK talent from the trilogy War of the Worlds era. I'm talking Dirty 30 to War of the Worlds 2. We got the massive influx of the UK talent, and now nearly none of them are anywhere to be seen. How they didn't hold on to more of these people. What a mistake it was. Georgia, Big T, Melissa, Kaylee, Theo, Ashley Kane, Joss, Rogan. Where are all these fucking stars now? I know many people probably didn't want to keep doing it, but I know some of these folks desperately do want to come back. So get them back. Number four, not inviting Tyler Duckworth back after Rivals 1 and back-to-back wins is the biggest casting mistake they have ever made. The biggest single casting mistake ever made, not inviting Tyler back. Two-time champ in four seasons, back-to-back champ, fantastic entertainer, lots of storylines, coming off a historic and epic win. What the fuck are you doing not giving him a call? Number five, speaking of Tyler and when he probably should have been called next, not having Key West on Battle of the Seasons 2 is an absolute atrocity. They are the GOAT real-world cast in the challenge world. They are the GOAT cast to come from one show into the other in their challenge resumes as a collective speaks for itself. To not have them on Battle of the Seasons rendered the whole thing pointless. Tyler, Bananas, Janelle, and Paula, that's the team. And what a team it is, what entertainers they are, what an absolute whiff from production. Number six. 
let's just name all the women who seemingly never got a second call and clearly should have. I'm talking Sarah from The Gauntlet, Kendall from Inferno, Aviv, Lynette and Shonda from Fresh Meat, Svetlana from The Duel, Brittany from Duel 2, Carly Fresh Meat 2, and Cook from Rivals 1, just to name a few. One season stars they were. Did they get a call? Did they not get a call? I don't know, but they obviously should have. Now, number seven, the flip side. Let's just name all the men who seemingly never got a second call and clearly should have. Tech, 2000. Antoine, Battle of the Sexes. Johnny McBride from Fresh Meat. Noir and Pete from Fresh Meat. Two Marlin from Rivals. Two Swift from Free Agents. Jose from Final Reckoning. I could name so many more, but I will stop there. Same as for the women as for the men here. Did they get a call? I don't know, but if they didn't, they should have. They should have got more than one call. All the calls bring these folks back they were all great in their one season of shining number eight are you the one was an incredible feeder system for the show hands down flat out are you the one gave incredible talent to the show and should be respected specifically are you the one three but all of them so much talent came into the show and we talked so much shit in the moment because it wasn't real world and it wasn't road rules and new things are hard to appreciate sometimes even when they're great but make no mistake about it that show produced in a big big way when it comes to talent brought over into the challenge universe number nine the most well set up by casting storyline of all time was west versus kenny on fresh meat Two, no CT or bananas in the house, no Derek in the house, no Evan in the house, no guys to get in the way of those two going head to head and dividing the house from day one. Landon was there as the perfect foil who wouldn't want to be on either side. Evelyn was there as the perfect female front runner to have to side with one or the other. All of the backstory of Wes, Johanna, Kenny, and those two just plain old hating each other, not liking each other for years prior. It was all there. The goal of casting isn't just to get the best names possible, but to think about the group you are creating and the story it could produce. And in this instance, Fresh Meat 2, they nailed the job better than they've ever done it before. This mix was spot on, and the casting specifically led to an absolutely amazing, amazing season. Number 10, bring Kara and Polly back, you freaking cowards. Let's just, well, you know what? Leave Polly out of it. Let's just go with Cara Maria to make it easy. She's one of the best to ever do it. One of the greatest story arcs the show has ever had. She was the literal face of the challenge on your streaming platform for the first year plus you launched it. Literally, the face that was shown next to the challenge on your streaming service for over a year when you launched it was Cara Maria. I understand having her take a season or two off. The storylines were getting a little bit stale there for a minute. But to never invite her back now absolute insanity and because i mentioned him polly's made for this show and to make a great version of this show you need people like polly you need people who are willing to be the villain who you'll paint as the villain and a lot of people will love to hate bring Kara and polly back and i know that's 10 but we're gonna throw a bonus one at you because we just have to number 11 give marie the bag whatever amount it takes bring her back She's got as big of a fan base as anyone. I honestly don't know when or how that happened, and I do not understand it at all, but I ain't mad at it because Marie is dope as hell. I love Marie, so just write the blank check. Bring her and her viewership back to the show. When the challenge cast members are not actively competing, they can usually be found doing one of two things, hooking up, 
are throwing hands. Emotions run high in a challenge house, so it makes perfect sense that both romance and hatred would be in abundance. Plus, as the great Dan Setzler once said, fucking and fighting, those are the two things that get you called back. Stop doing those, stop getting calls. Here's 10 takes on challenge, romance, or rage. Number one, Abram is the goat of challenge hookups. Seriously, it's undeniable. The women he had relationships with reads like a challenge Mount Rushmore. Veronica, Rachel, Coral, and Cara Maria. What an honor those wonderful women bestowed upon Mr. Boise. Number two, the best ever performance by a couple on the show is Tori and Jordan on War of the Worlds 2. The queen should have bestowed citizenship on Tori and Jordan the moment they both turned coat and helped lead a decimated UK team to victory on War of the Worlds 2. Epic elimination wins, a proposal, surviving having a target on each of their backs from day one. It was an incredible run. Even if it didn't last after the show ended, that doesn't matter. We're talking a couple while they were on one single season together. Their performance, Tori and Jordan's, was the best of the best. The runner-up couple is Cam and Leroy on Double Agents, ran that house from day one all the way to the final without shedding a drop of sweat made it look easy an absolute master class only derailed by facing ct in a final and third place gotta go to brad and tory winning cutthroat together shout out to brad i love you buddy number three We've got arguably my favorite listener submission of all of them. Coming from Mary Novick, a.k.a. mar 2 on Instagram. Her take was DM and Derek's connection gets overshadowed by her relationship with CT. And having just covered Fresh Meat and The Duel on the Rewatch series, this opinion was fresh in my mind, and I couldn't agree with Mary more. DM and Derek's connection does get overshadowed by her relationship with CT, as does that part of DM's story in general. DM's story is a major part of challenge history. She is and was an angel, and her up-and-down relationship with CT is an all-time storyline. But as Mary points out, her rookie season was incredible in the same mix of heartwarming and heartbreaking, and same show of courage and beautiful spirit that all her other seasons were, and her connection with partner Derek and his desire to help her win was such an incredible storyline that should not be forgotten. Those walks they took, her first revealing her battle to him and to us viewers, are poignant challenge moments, and they shouldn't be forgotten when telling the story of DM or Derek. Number four, but also CT and DM's kiss on the cliffs is the best kiss in reality TV history. Any reality show, not just the challenge. There has never been a greater kiss. It was perfect. The buildup to it was perfect. The fact everyone in the house saw it and then playfully teased a clearly smitten DM about it afterwards was perfect. Everything about it was perfect. Our angel looking down on all of us in the challenge community. DM, we miss you and love you. You gave the world so much. And just because CT blew your chance to be a challenge champion on X's one doesn't mean you are not a champion in our hearts and a true champion in life. We miss you, DM. Number five, the challenge is better at producing long-lasting relationships than The Bachelor ever has been. There, I said it. It's better than The Bachelor franchise, Bachelor, Bachelorette, both of them combined. The challenge is better at producing long-lasting love. Think back, season one, Road Rules All-Stars, names Rachel and Sean, ring a bell because they got together that season. They're now married with five kids 20-some-odd years later. Is there any bachelor-bachelorette couple that can say that? We've got Cam and Leroy, Kara and Polly, Casey and Nani, Jenna and Zach. I could steal Bailey and Swaggy from Big Brother, but I don't even need to. My point is already made. 
are most relationships on this show just for fun makeouts? Yes. Do a lot of the relationships on the show turn toxic quickly? Unfortunately, also, yes. But even with those two things said, does the fact stand that you're just as likely to find your forever person in a challenge house as you are in a house full of champagne and roses over on ABC? Bet your bottom you are. Now, we turn from love to hate. Let's talk fights. Sometimes physical, all the time verbal. Number six, Fessy getting sent home on Spies, Lies, and Allies is the weakest DQ for fighting of all time and never should have happened. What an absolute joke. The safety standards needed increasing over the previous years. That is certain, but this was weak sauce and everyone knows it. A face smush in context is not grounds for removal, but maybe being the one who starts a fight every single season and smashes glass during every single one of those fights should have been. Number seven. No one yells in someone's face like Katie yells in someone's face. It's stiff competition, but Katie is clearly the goat of yelling in people's faces. Don't believe me? I'd like to call Veronica as my first witness. When I was talking to Kettle, did it involve your skateboard pass? No, it didn't, bitch. It did not. So shut the We can end the debate right here. Katie, you are the goat of yelling in other people's faces. There's no debate about it. Any remarks you'd like to add? These people are liars, and they're not doing it based on performance. They're doing it on a personal thing, and I'm pissed. If I win, I'll play the game very differently than I have been before. And I'm coming back like a bitch. If I lose, go real world. Number eight. Coral's I don't wrestle, I beat bitches up is the greatest quote in challenge history. What a legend, what a badass. There simply is no better in-the-moment response to an offer to fight than this. She wants to fight you in the grass. Uh, uh, you great, Coral. She wants to wrestle you in the grass. Go downstairs. She wants to hit me? No, uh, she wants to wrestle you. I don't wrestle. I beat bitches up. I'm a dog. Which reminds me, number nine, Julie peeing on Coral's bed and Coral's reaction to it is the greatest shit they should have shown footage of all time and maybe the greatest reunion moment of all time. Coral versus Julie will go down in history as an all-time TV moment and rivalry, but the of the many, many great moments involved in that one night. I will always think first of Coral asking David and CT how she did it. Like, where did she stand? How, where was she looking? How much was it? Coral was so infatuated with the fact that someone had beat on her bed, she forgot to even get mad about it. Julie, how you were still standing after all that, I do not know, but I thank you for the entertainment. Coral versus Julie, a rivalry, and argument for the history books. And then number 10. Tina punching Beth was lame and not worth it. There, I said it. It's a big moment in challenge history. It's referenced all the times, but I think it was a little lame, and I definitely know that it was not worth it. Of all the big fights and punches in challenge history, this one may get mentioned as much as any other. It totally does not deserve it. The punch was weak. It was clearly premeditated. It was totally pointless and worthless for Tina. She may have said to TJ it was worth 500 grand. She may be absolutely killing it in life and not need that money at all. But I've got to imagine if she truly was honest, she would take that one back and keep on competing. 
We are 70 takes deep with 30 more to go to cap off 100 takes for the 100th episode. We can do this. Our next set of 10 takes, they don't really have a coherent theme. These were the outcast takes. They didn't fit neatly into any one single category yet. Deserve to make the final list all the same. Miscellaneous takes commence. Number one, let's kick it off with a submission from my guy, Eric, at eric.jinxy on IG, who's coming in hot with this, quote, Anissa needs to retire from the flagship and maybe the challenge altogether, end quote. Look, she's a legend. I love her. If I was her, I'd keep getting them checks as long as MTV wants to sign them checks. But Eric's spot on here. All stars only, Anissa. You're an OG. Go hang out with the other OGs. Number two. The greatest moment of CT's illustrious career is when he stripped down to his tidy whities and hit that game-winning shot over Teresa during their one-on-one basketball game on free agents. The greatest moment of his career, that shot. I feel like he just won a championship game. The winner is CT! I didn't think my opponent was going to be that good. I mean, she's good. Models and models all night tonight, baby! Models and models! Models and bottles all night, baby! Models and bottles, that is right, CT. Has the man won five challenge championships? Sure. Was he a part of the most memorable romance saga the show has ever seen? Of course. Has he won many eliminations, dailies, said hundreds of hilarious things, and all around been a star of nearly every season he has been a part of for two decades plus now? Yes, indeed. But none of that compares to that game of one-on-one. The crowd was rocking. The stakes were high. He shook his nearly bare bottom in his opponent's face, then pulled up from deep to win the game. It was majestic. I heard Steph Curry watches it as inspiration. Now, shout out to Teresa for balling out. Shout out to the cheerleading squads that formed. Shout out to Isaac and Leroy for kind of maybe refereeing and announcing. But most importantly, shout out to CT for the greatest challenge moment of his career. Number three, top four challenge houses of all time in some order. One, Argentinian mansion on free agents. Basketball court, duh. Did you not listen to the last take? Number two, Nova Scotian cabin of fresh meat too. What a beautiful property in a beautiful place. I can taste that fresh air now. Number three, three-tiered jungle oasis of all stars three. Had everything you could ever want. Just don't visit in the heat of summer like they did. And number four, the secluded desert mansion of Inferno three. The pool, the long view, the starry sky, and the threat of a random CT punch in the middle of the night. Those were the best, best four houses all-time in challenge history. Number four. This comes from our good friend Paige over at Most Likely 2 Podcast. She's one of the best in the biz. I'm sure you already listen and follow her, but if you don't, get on that. If you need a proper introduction, don't fret because some collabs may be in the works, but until then, you've got one of her submitted takes, which is this. Quote, Darrell lost Dirty 30 on purpose, end quote. This is a juicy one. Darrell is certainly way too good to have been purged straight out of the house on day one and straight out of the redemption house on day also pretty much kind of number one, right? Way too good for that. Would the one-time four-for-four champ lay down on his sword immediately upon arrival and realizing that maybe he didn't want to be in that house with those people knowing where things might go? No one knows but him. But, Paige, I am here for this theory. Number five. Mark Long and Eric Neese deserved an Emmy for their hosting job on Battle of the Seasons. 
Now, obviously, TJ Lavin is the GOAT Challenge host. We all know that. We're not arguing that. But Mark and Eric are not far behind because in their one-season effort, they put in work. Every daily challenge they created and then took way too far a beautiful bit. It was amazing. They knew the cast well. They knew the game better. And they knew how to make great TV most of all. Salute to Mark and Eric. Number six, the War of the Worlds final is the hardest final of all time. It's not even close. Look, when six-time finalist Wes Bergman, when nine-time finalist Cara Maria, when 30-time-plus host TJ Lavin all give the same definitive answer without a second thought, then you know it truly was that brutal, that hard, the hardest, most brutal, most enduring challenge final of all time. Number seven, the greatest team ever assembled in challenge history is the men's team from Battle of the Sexes 2. The dominance and eventual win is one thing. Sir, sure, a few teams have done that same thing in the history of this show. But the real story is the team unity and camaraderie. They liked each other so much that they made the show boring. You know how hard that is to do? Seriously, there are no storylines involving the men's team that season because they're all just hanging out, having a good time, laughing and goofing with each other. Zero tension. Everyone knew when it was their time to go and accepted it and applauded it even. This is the team you dream of being a part of, the greatest team in the history of the challenge. Number eight, the greatest throne challenge in challenge history or any reality competition show history happens to be from Battle of the Sexes 2, happens to be from that greatest of all time team, the men's team. That would be the final four men on Battle of the Sexes 2 throwing the final daily challenge, the greatest thrown challenge in reality competition series history. They knowingly sacrifice the godfather himself, Mark Long, in the process. They purposely keep Arissa safe on the female team as their goal. They give up that measly $10,000 to increase their odds of winning that big $150,000 a few days later. The acting was hilarious and horrible, both at the same time, yet the women never figured it out a thing. Theo, Eric, Dan, and Mark, they laughed and laughed around the corner of that rooftop and then all the way back to the bank with that money after winning that final. Number nine, the real world team creating a fake challenge and tricking the road rules team into spending their entire single night and day in South Beach, Miami, doing that fake challenge while the real world team went out to the club is by far the greatest prank in challenge history. Road rules kick their ass all season long. Make no bones about it. But Real World made sure to get in one big laugh midway through the season when they decided to create a fake mini challenge very similar to the real mini challenge they had previously had to do and convince the Road Rules team to spend their sole day in Miami, their sole night on South Beach, going around doing things such as convincing an old man to let them polish and paint his toenails. How little remorse they showed after the fact was incredible. The dedication to go to a Kinko's and print up flyers and pamphlets to match the original one. All of it. Incredible stuff. All-time prank. The best the show has ever seen. And number 10. If War of the Worlds 2 would have aired when Total Madness did, then the challenge would have three times the viewership it currently does. Let me explain. A pandemic hit, remember that? The world shut down, we were stuck inside, and the entertainment landscape was bare. No sports, no new movies, no new shows, nothing. But the challenge had just wrapped a season right before this all started. It was ready to air it, and all the eyeballs were available for the taking if it could just be a kick-ass season, if it could just deliver in this one golden moment. 
And then we got total madness, a total mess of a season. In that moment, the challenge had an unreal opportunity born out of, yes, unbelievably dismal circumstances in the world. But it was an opportunity. And if that opportunity would have been War of the Worlds, a truly great season, as the product put forward in that moment, so many people would have been jumping on board the challenge. So many people would have been getting invested. Every OG challenge fan would have been telling their friends and family, I told you so, the show is amazing. It would have been a boon for the franchise. And instead, it was the first in a series of busts. Now we've come to the biggest, the hottest, the most important takes of them all. Who is the best of the best? Whose career meant the most? Whose impact has the longest lasting? We've got 20 proclamations left in this list of 100, and all 20 are regarding an individual challenge player and their status in the history books. Let's split it up in a final two sets of 10. Here we go with the first. Number one. Veronica is the original challenge star and first ever face of the franchise. Give her her flowers. I'm not talking real world or road wolf star, though she was one of those two. I mean first ever true challenge specific star. Seven of the first 10 seasons she was on. She was the staple, the first true veteran, the first face of the franchise. And for damn good reason, because she kicked ass and made great television. Long live Queen V. Number two. Holly Shand was Sarah Rice before Sarah Rice was Sarah Rice. I don't know if she knows that. I don't know if either of them know that, but it's true. Sarah is rightfully remembered as one of the best of the best while also being an absolutely lovely human being. But Holly Shand, who I swear is the exact same person as Sarah Rice, did it all first, one, two times, and her name gets forgotten from time to time because her seasons are from so long ago and they're not available to stream. Well, I'm here to say that Sarah Rice is awesome and a Hall of Famer, as too is Holly Shand, who I do believe is at least related to Sarah Rice, if not actually the exact same person using a different name years prior. Give Holly her respect. Number three. Next submission comes from Mike B. Shore at MBE Shore 21 on Instagram, who is a man after my heart because he had this to say, quote, Theo Vaughn is criminally underrated as a character and competitor, end quote. Fucking preach, Mike. Say it again. Say it louder. Say it over and over until people start putting the respect on his name and remembering what a beast he was. Theo Vaughn is one of the best to ever compete on the challenge. He's one of the funniest, most entertaining people to ever be on the challenge. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer and one of the forefathers of the show. Please, Godfather Mark Long, if you are listening, and I hope you are, I'm begging you, find a way, convince Theo to take a break from his incredibly successful stand-up comedy career and jump back into the challenge world on a future season of All-Stars. It's my greatest wish. Theo's a legend, and so are you, Mike, for bringing us that take. Number four. Speaking of sometimes forgotten legends, let me be as clear as possible when I say that Dan Renzi is the GOAT confessional king. Dan may as well have invented the confessional because this man freaking brought it every single time he sat down with the producers to talk about the goings on of the season. He's hilarious, he's opinionated, he's witty and fun, and he will talk that shit when that shit needs talked. There's a reason that with every season of the rewatch series, I give out the Dan Renzi Award for confessional king or queen because he was not only the first, but he was the best. Long live Dan Renzi. Number five. 
We talked about them before. We're going to talk about them again. Cara Maria and Polly are the most polarizing challengers of all time. Some people love them, like me. You may remember about 24 takes ago when I called the casting department cowards for not inviting them back. But others despise them, like my dear friend Lee at Flower Wookie on Instagram, who said, quote, Cara and Polly are repulsive, end quote. Lee, I love you so, so much. And while I don't personally agree with you on this one, I sure do know a lot of people that do. Car and Polly have built such a strong base of super fans and super haters alike. It's really kind of remarkable. That polarization makes for great TV, which is again why I say you cowards for not inviting them back. Love them or hate them, you're probably going to watch them. Number six. Jordan is the best pure athlete the show has ever seen on the male side, narrowly edging out Alton Landon and CT. Number seven, Jenny West is the best pure athlete the show has ever seen on the female side, narrowly edging out Rachel, Casey, Evelyn, and Emily Schramm. Jordan and Jenny, if we're just talking pure athleticism, those are the best of the best the challenge has ever seen. Walk into the sand, stand next to TJ. There's been a lot of great athletes, but I say those two are the best. Number eight, this one comes from at Silvax801 on IG, aka dollar sign Scoob. They had this to say, quote, if CT, Bananas, and Wes ran a final right now today, Wes would smoke them both, end quote. I love, 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 love this, not just because it's super fun to think about them running a final versus each other right now today, but also because it's 100% facts. Wes is super locked in and serious about his health and wellness, his strength and conditioning. It may honestly be at an all-time high, even at this not really that advanced age of his life. Bananas and CT, they still got it for sure, but they ain't putting in the work the way Weston Bergman is today, right now. So if they lined up tomorrow, TJ's final, my money to win, as is dollar sign Scoob, Weston Bergman. Number nine. Two for one coming at you here. Part one, Jay from X's Two is the worst finalist of all time. And part two, his tweet response to Tyson Apostle should be in the Guggenheim or some other famous museum to be marveled at for all time because it was amazing. If you choose to avoid the hellscape that is Twitter.com and have no idea what I'm talking about, let me catch you up. Tyson Apostle, survivor legend, recently kicking ass and taking names on the Challenge USA, recently tweeted this. Quote, to those comparing me to those on the OG challenge, a lot of them can bench press more than me, but 70 to 80, even 90% of the game, I have them crushed. Talking cakewalk, end quote. This had folks up in arms, as any good hot take does. Well done, Tyson. And one responder happened to be the worst finalist in challenge history, Mr. JG himself, who said, quote, bro, you kidding with this? I haven't been on in eight years, and I'd make you my puppy, end quote. Oh my goodness, what an absurd statement from such a layup, an incredible show of hubris and delusion. I respect it so much. And if you want a good laugh, go check out all the responses he received for firing that one off, which may have been the point all along. I see you working smart over there, Jay, but regardless... Probably the worst finalist of all time. Definitely one of the worst takes of all time, which reminds me, let's go back to Tyson himself for another 10, number 10. Since we brought it up, let's go ahead and let it be known. Tyson's tweet is facts, 100% 
facts, Tyson is right. He'd smoke nearly everyone who has ever played the game. Let me read this one more time for you. Tyson said, quote, to those comparing me to those on the OG challenge, a lot of them can bench press more than me, but 70 to 80, even 90% of the game, I have them crush, talking, cakewalk, and yes, I say that is true. Banana, CT, Jordan, West, Landon, that's the class Tyson would be in if he had been doing the challenge for the last decade. Make no doubts about it. He'd have one obvious flaw slash, you know, way to get him out. Throw him into a headbanger elimination like Hallball or Pull Wrestle. Yeah, he'll probably lose that. But that's a very specific opportunity that if you can't nail that very specific time, you know, he's going to be winning a lot of dailies. He's going to be very hard to beat in most of the other eliminations. And he's absolutely smoking you and everyone else in the final with those swimming and endurance and puzzle abilities. Tyson wipes the floor with most in the history of the challenge. Now, I do agree with Johnny Bananas when he says Tyson is currently going up against the JV squad over there on the Challenge USA. The male cast, not super stacked. A couple high performers, but only a couple. But that doesn't mean that Tyson wouldn't be a dominant player if called up to the varsity league because he'd still be among the best of the best. His statement was facts. I stand with Tyson on that. 10 takes left. We're down to the final 10, all still focused on where certain players stand in the history of the time. The biggest challenge debates answered right here and now. Let's get started. Number one. Challenge Mount Rushmore is as follows and cannot be changed. Veronica, Mark Long, Coral, and The Miz. This is not the greatest of all time because that's not what the real Mount Rushmore is. These are the most important and impactful stars from the early years of the show. These four are the reason why the show became what it did and deserve recognition for that. Without Veronica, Mark, Coral, and The Miz, the show never finds its identity, never finds a big audience, never becomes the amazing franchise that it has been for nearly a quarter of a century now. So, please, I'm pleading with you, stop saying, who's your challenge, Rushmore, when you really mean who are the four best players of all time. Those are separate questions. Those are separate things. These four are the Rushmore, and that is that. Special shout out to Eric, Timmy, Theo, and Dan, who could maybe have a smaller rock statue at the foot of this theoretical Rushmore deserve at least that placement. Moving on, number two, another outside submission. This one from the great Dylan Deckard of the Chillin' with Dylan podcast, another fantastic podcast within the Challenge and Reality TV community. Go give his show a follow and listen if you want to hear truly magnificent challenge takes like this one he sent over to me. Quote, Frank Sweeney would have been the GOAT if he never retired, end quote. <sighs> Everything about this is perfect. The challenge misses Frank Sweeney. That is for sure. And I say that knowing that Frank, like many a challenger before and since, has a few moments on the show I'm sure he'd like to take back. But that dude was a competitor who could pop off at any moment's notice. That's a recipe for success in the challenge house. Now, did Frank retire? Did he get himself Banned for spilling too much tea in an era where production was very insecure and very much enforcing some strict NDA rules. We may never truly know, but I know one thing. Dylan is right. If Frank did more seasons, he had a shot at GOAT status. Certainly had a shot. So wild, it very well may be true. I don't know how serious of a take it was, but I love it all the same. Thank you, Dylan, for the submission. Number three, the best players to do at least three challenges and never win are Leroy, Cam, Pauly, Joss, Jen, and Kellyanne in that order. They all had what it takes. It just never panned out. Leroy is 
the unfortunate title or fortunate because Leroy is the man. He may never have won a title, a challenge title, but he won every single challenge fan's heart. He has the highest Q score of any challenger ever. That has to matter for something, right? So just because he holds the title of best challenger to never win doesn't mean that he's not the freaking man. Doesn't mean that all of those folks, Leroy, Cam, Polly, Josh, Jen, and Kellyanne, deserve and know to have what it takes to be a champion. If they kept coming back and trying, they would get it done. Number four, let's talk about some champions, specifically Jamie Murray, who has the best challenge resume of all time and is the best challenge player that no one ever talks about. He's a three-for-three champ. He was the best player on his team in all three of those seasons. He made it all look super-duper easy, and he seemed to also have a blast while doing it and made sure to say next to no words on camera. Long live the outlaw. Jamie Murray should be mentioned more three-by-three champ. Number five, the greatest single-season performance of all time is Landon on Fresh Meat 2. Now, first and foremost, this is a complicated take because you got to give Carly her flowers. This is no shots at Carly. She is amazing. She truly pushed herself to 100% of her abilities and won that shit right along with Landon. For the full take of this, go back and listen to Best Seasons Ever that I did with the Challenge Fandom Podcast. But the short version is this. Landon, at the end of the day, took the last pick in the draft and won the whole damn thing. He navigated the West versus Kenny dynamic damn near flawlessly, even though he despised making deals or playing strategically. He was obviously the best male competitor there the whole time, and he was the only partner that could have had the patience, support, and wherewithal to help Carly push herself to that 100% mark without passing out. It's an incredible win. It's the best single performance the show has ever seen. Number six. The best pairs of all time for each gender combo are as follows. Paula and Emily on Rivals 2, Wes and CT on Rivals 2, and Jordan and Sarah on X's 2. On the female-female pairing front, Paula is so underrated, it just makes me sick. Let me get that out of the way first. Her and Emily, I'll take, I think they're a little bit better than Paula and Ev, but it's close. Kara and Laurel, a few years later, would have maybe taken the crown, but as it stood when we got these pairings, Paula and Emily was the best female duo of all time. CT and Wes, same season, same result, two legends, an unfair pairing, honestly, and they knew that when they put those two together, but they needed to get CT that win, and they needed to get Wes another win as well. Yes, I said earlier, Jordan and Marlon probably would have beaten them if not for the purge twist in that final, but they didn't, and I'd still take this duo in any given season versus any men's pairing in the history of the show. Third, then, Jordan and Sarah, same goes for them. Two kick-ass competitors at the peak of their powers. This is the easiest pairing to lock in for me with the only real competition being Evan and Coral on fresh meat if they wouldn't have gotten injured, but we'll never know. So Sarah and Jordan, you're the best dual combo ever. Number seven, our final outside submission comes from at Benjamin2810 on Instagram. Ben wants it to be known that, quote, Ashley Millionaire Mitchell is the female GOAT, end quote. A lot of people weighed in on who the GOAT was, both on the male side and the female side. Ashley's name certainly came up more than once. She's got a stellar resume mixed with some real flame-out performances as well. No doubt about it, she's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I appreciate the take from Ben, but I don't know if I can put her number one, which leads me to number eight. The best female players of all time are Cara Maria, Evelyn, Laurel, Veronica, Paula, Emily, Schramm, Ashley, Mitchell, and Casey Clark. 
That's tier one. It's an exclusive club. Bicker about who goes where if you're listing them, but you cannot argue that these eight women are the best to have ever done it. I won't accept any other applications. That is tier one. However, if I did list them out and I had to put someone number one, bonus take because we'll end up at more than 10 and I don't want to do that. Bonus coming at you. Cara Maria is the female GOAT. Nine finals is nine finals. Bloodlines is a way more impressive win than you remember. You just only remember her saying cousin. Forget that part. Remember how impressive running that game was start to finish. Vendettas is an insanely impressive win. The longevity, the resume, the memorable moments. It's got to be Cara Maria. She is the female goat of the challenge. Moving on to number nine then. The other side, the best male players of all time are as follows. Jordan, Banana, C.T. Landon, Wes, Theo Vaughn, Timmy Beggy, Abram Durrell, Derek, The Miz, and Jamie Murray. That's the top 11 in some order. Same as for the women. That's just tier one. You can put it in any order you want. It's an exclusive club. Those 11 are all legends, tier one, best of the best. All different cases for being the best or better than the next. But if I had to only pick one of those 11, number 10, the final take in the 100 challenge takes for the 100th podcast episode is the debate's over. Bananas is the GOAT. I'm sorry. I know most of you don't want to hear that. I know most of you have decided to believe something totally different, but Bananas is the GOAT. CT is second. That's just the facts. You may like CT more than you do Bananas, but it doesn't change history. But the Bananas backpack, you say? Incredible moment by a beast of a man who I'm saying is the second best person in the history of this show and game. But I counter with the final elimination on Rivals. I counter with the final on X's 1. I counter with the three-puzzle final elimination on Free Agents 1-on-1 mano-e-mano. A lot more goes into the argument than that, obviously. Trust me, I know how fraught of an argument it may be for some. And one day, when I've got more time, I'll do the full breakdown and convince those who disagree that they are just being silly. But today, we don't have time. So you just have to trust that this historian has done the homework twice over, run the numbers thrice over, studied every nuance and angle to the debate, and every single time the answer is the same. Love him or hate him, Johnny Bananas is the challenge goat. And with that, we have done it. 100 challenge takes for the 100th episode of the Challenge Historian Podcast. What'd you think? Get them right, get them wrong, let me know. Much love to everyone who submitted some opinions to help me out as getting to 100 was a lot harder than I initially thought that it would be, so I literally could not have done it without all of you and your submissions. And thank you so, so much to every single one of you listening now to this podcast or any single one of the first 100 podcasts. It is an absolute joy to be able to talk for hours on end about this flawed but perfect show that we all love so much, and I appreciate you so much for being here talking about it with me. Big things are coming in the weeks ahead, so as always, make sure you've got that follow or subscribe button hit so you don't miss a thing, and also, as always, follow along over on Instagram at Challenge Historian for more content and to get in touch with me. My DMs are always open to talk challenge, so let me know what 
what takes you thought were spot on, what ones you couldn't stand, and anything in between. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here for the last 100 episodes and hopefully for the next 100 to come. I will be back Wednesday night to talk Challenge USA. Until then, have a great week. Much love. Peace.